All right, you may have a seat. Grab a Bible if you have one. Open it up to the book of 1 John. If you do not have a Bible, then we've got a couple of our uh, team members that are going to pass them out to you. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, I am excited to be here with you. I have uh, taken a few Sundays off. I've asked some of my friends to preach and Matt Parrish preached a couple weeks ago and I listened to all the sermons. They all did a fantastic job and I am excited to be here and I am rested and I am ready for this new season in the life of our church. And uh, I tell you what, summer is a fun time. It's a hot time. Um, you know, I'm sweating in places I didn't even know I had. And, and it is, uh, it is a, also as we end the summer, after many ha- in our church have traveled and been spent time with friends and been away, we begin to come back together more regularly and, uh, and see one another and get in on one another's lives and hear each other's stories and what's gone on this summer. It's been such a good time. We've had something huge happen in the life of our church this summer, and that is that we have hired a new associate pastor. And, uh, and he is here today, and he's sitting right over here. So Andrew, would you stand up and let people look at your, your iron shirt? There you go. There he is right there. And his wife, Megan, is sitting right next to him. Just wave, Megan. I won't put you on the spot too much. And so we're excited that you all are here. Um, and Andrew is going to be responsible as we transition him for things like home groups and also uh, overseeing our teams. We care deeply in this church for connection between people, and we work hard to facilitate that. Our mission is we're inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. We believe very much that you must be connected to one another in relationships for you to experience that kind of peace. And so we invest as a church, in our staff, in this way. And so, Andrew, we're excited that you're here, man. And in church planting, that is not all you'll be doing. You'll be doing a whole lot of other things, too. Just like this morning, I was here sweating with the rest of the guys setting this stuff up. And uh, this is an exciting time. I tell you, some other really good news that I want to report to you is I found out about a month ago that this school, the principal, who is a good friend, Dr. Phillips, Uh, and has been great to our church was moved to another school. He actually became the principal of Booker T. Washington High School, which is just outside of 610 on the north side. And uh, when that happened, I got a little concerned, frankly, because uh, the principal holds the keys on whether or not we're allowed to meet here. And uh, so I came, I was invited to a community meeting. That's pretty cool, right? When they have a community meeting, they invited me to the pastor. It says something about our church and our involvement with the school and caring and supporting the vision. And I came and spent some time talking to the school support officer, the SSO, and he said, hey, man, one of the things that that this school wants to retain is you all as a church gathering here on Sunday morning. So we're going to make sure it happens. And so uh, some of you are aware that that was going on, and uh, and they have a new principal. I'm going to meet him tomorrow, and uh, that's pretty cool. So what we will do as a church, and this gives you a little bit of an insight into the heart of who we are as a church, I'm going to ask him this question, what's your vision for these kids and how can we support it? How can we show you love and how can we care for what you're doing in this community? We care deeply for this community um, because our church is about neighborhood churches starting this one and then other supporting of starting churches all over uh, Houston, specifically in the inner loop. So pretty cool stuff, all right? Couple more things. Uh, Who likes to eat? Raise your hand. Good, all right, I do too. 
Uh, I, uh, right after church today, we have one of our all-church lunches, and it's the best kind of lunch because it is free. Everybody together, it's the best kind of lunch because it is free. Yeah, that's the best kind of lunch, and we're not going to make you suffer in the heat. We're actually going to set up the tables right in this little area right over here. So please join us for that. It's an opportunity for you to visit with Andrew and Megan also, and again, it is free. Very good. <laughs> All right, man, I am excited. Okay, one more thing, and uh, then I'll get into my sermon. And I'm going to do my best, since I haven't preached for three weeks, to not give you all that's been on my mind for the last month. But anyway, so one more thing. We have a couple of retreats coming up. This is one of my favorite things we do in the life of the church. We have a men's retreat. It's the second weekend in August, and a women's retreat, which is the fourth weekend in August. You got to go to that. Raise your hand, men, if you went to the... What? September. See, that's why we need another staff member. Support, come around. Um, uh, so it's September. So the second weekend in September, and then the women's is the fourth weekend in September. Raise your hand, men. If you've been to the men's retreat before, just raise your hand up. So look around the room. You've got to go. You're like, I've never been to a men's retreat. What's this going to be like? We're going to be holding around, singing kumbaya, and uh, talking about our feelings. No, here's what we're going to do. We're going to eat good food, shoot guns. Um, we're going to do some fishing. We're just going to hang out, play some basketball, if you dare get on the court. And uh, it's going to be a good time. So in the women, that's what they do. They get together, they sing kumbaya, paint each other's fingernails. They do, do they shoot guns also? Hey man, inner city, you got to learn how to, you know. So anyway, so this is cool. So here's the deal. You guys are the absolute worst at signing up for stuff. And... uh, (laughs) And so I'm going to send out a link this week. Help me, please. Don't do one of those, like you see it on your phone, like I'll get back to it and forget about it. When I send you the link to sign up, just sign up. That way I'm not having to call you like, hey, do you want to go to the retreat? Like, oh, man, I was going to go to the retreat and I just totally forgot to sign up. Don't do that. I don't have time for that. Please don't waste my time. I will punch you in the face the next time I see you if, that, if you do that, okay? And I will lay hands on in prayer is what I meant to say. And um, so please sign up. It's a great time. Um, and uh, if you can't afford to go, we'll pay for you to go. It doesn't even cost that much money. We've already got the retreat center, and uh, it's, a, it's a super cool time to be together and just connect and build relationships, all right? So I'm looking forward to that. All right, First John is where we are at this morning. We've been there all summer. And so one thing that we do in the summer in our church is I'll just pick a book of the Bible and we just teach right through it. We believe that the written word, the Bible, reveals the living word, Jesus, and my Life's mission is to help you understand who Jesus is because we believe if you understand who Jesus is as God in the flesh, this will in fact be the greatest decision of your life. And, uh, and so we do that by discovering God's word. And so my role as a preacher in this moment is to teach you and proclaim to you what God's word says. So John, the apostle John is writing first John. He's already written the gospel of John. And so he's had a lot to say. He's writing this to this fledgling church that's had some issues. There's been some people in the church and they have since left, but they're saying things about Jesus that are not true. And they're distracting people from who Jesus is. And so the apostle John is very passionate, excited, motivated to tell them about who Jesus is. And then whenever they understand who Jesus is, how they can know whether or not they are truly born again. 
There's two really main things in this letter that provide evidence as to whether or not someone is truly a Christian. In our day, talk is cheap, right? Yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I, you know, I went to church when I was a child, or yeah, yeah, I was baptized, or this or that. But reality is, everyone can claim I'm a Christian, but the truth of the matter is, you are not proving that you are a Christian unless you do these two things. Love God and love others. This is what John is saying through his entire letter, and this is what we find all over the New Testament. He's excited about these things. The first two verses of the first chapter, he said that he has seen Jesus. He's heard Jesus. He's touched Jesus. He's seen what Jesus has done. So he is uh, first person source on who Jesus is and what he's done. He's writing according to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, so that you may believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can have eternal life. To start this series, I ask you this question. Do you hope for a better life? And every person in the room raised their hand. Yes, of course, of course we hope for a better life. We've discovered through this letter, through John's excitement and his passion, that this good news gives us a better life. He repeats it over and over. Think about for a second something that's such good news that it has to be repeated. I, I remember whenever we became pregnant with our second child, I have four kids. Our first child, we had a hard time getting pregnant. We had to do some medical procedures and all that, more than you want to know, I understand. We got pregnant the first time. They said, you'll never get pregnant naturally again. One morning, I awaken on the bedside table. I look over and I see one of those little sticks. I won't describe it to you if you're a single man and you don't understand. It might gross you out. And it, it, proved, it showed the evidence that Jeannie was pregnant again. I look at the stick. It showed the evidence as I'm awakened by it and I'm going to myself, no way. No way. I mean, we've been praying for this. We've been praying for God to heal her body. We've decided we were not going to do any more medical treatments. Just let God do what he wanted to do. And here we have some evidence. So what I do, I said, no way. I don't believe this. So I walk out into the living room and Jeannie is out there. And I was like, I don't believe this. This can't be true. And the reason I said that wasn't because it wasn't true. It was because it was so remarkable. It was hard to believe. This is what John is doing. He's saying something over and over and over and over, not because it's not true or because he's insecure about whether or not it is true, but it's because it's so fantastic, it's hard to believe. Jeannie says to me, it's true. It's true. I'm pregnant. God has done something miraculous. Here's the main idea for this morning. Those who are born again love God by obeying his commands. First and foremost, loving one another. This is like a bottom shelf kind of sermon this morning. Those who are born of God love God by obeying his commands. First and foremost command, love one another. Jesus was asked by a religious leader in Matthew chapter 22, what's the greatest commandment? They're trying to trip him up, actually embarrass him as he's becoming quite an authority during that period of his life. Which is the greatest command? Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus does here is he actually summarizes the Ten Commandments. Love God and love others. What an incredible truth. Here's what I've just said to you. 
Here's the standard. When you wake up tomorrow, love God and love others. Who can do that perfectly? Not me. It's an impossible standard, right? Think about this for a moment. This is an impossible standard. That we would wake up tomorrow morning, you'd get ready for work. You'd go to work, you'd work during the day. And during the day, you would fully love God and fully love others. It is quite possible that before you leave the house, if you have children, or before you get to work, if you drive, that you're going to be unloving to somebody. I had an incident on the road as we were driving, Andrew and Andrew was driving uh, his van and I was driving the truck for part of the way back, moving them back from Phoenix. And there was a time where my truck was not working right. And so I'm going 35 miles an hour, right, from Katy, which if you know, that doesn't work on the freeway. So people were going by and they were honking and they were, uh, you know, putting their fists up in the air. And so I did what any good Christian would do. I pointed them to Jesus, you know, and... um, (laughs) Not really, not really. It's just a joke. It's hard to love people fully, isn't it? I mean, there's so many opportunities all around us to be unloving. This is an impossible standard. Well, good news. God knows you cannot fully love him and love others. He knows it. I cannot. This is why Jesus came. Now, what I'm about to say to you, I'm going to say again at the end, but this is the gospel. This is the good news of the Bible. Jesus was sent by God. God became flesh in the form of a man who we call Jesus as a savior. He came to pay for the consequences of our sin by dying on the cross and making available to us through faith a relationship with God. The mystery is this, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ satisfies God's righteousness, satisfies his righteous requirement that sin be judged. And here's what happens. Through faith, we get our sin forgiven. So whenever you are unable to fully love God and fully love others, when you fall short, that's what's called a sin. And none of us can live without sinning. It is impossible to be perfect. But God made a way through Christ for our sin to be forgiven. This is the gospel. This is the good news of the Bible. Some of you are here. This is your first time. You're like, okay, what kind of church is this? This is the kind of church that opens the Bible and teaches it. And I love you and I'll hug you. And even when it's hard to hear, but this is the good news of the Bible. And you can't understand the good news unless you've heard the bad news. And the bad news is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the standard of fully loving God and fully loving others. But through Christ, we can have our sin forgiven and God doesn't see us as unrighteous righteous, but instead he seats us as righteous. Not because we've been, but because Christ has been. This is the gospel. So here's what you get to do in response to belief in that, placing your faith in that. You get to love God and love others. And when you do not do it perfectly, it's a reminder that you need Jesus. First John chapter 5 begins to unpack what I've just said at a little different level. So important. Here's what it says. Look at verse 1 of 1 John chapter 5. 
There's a couple of if-then statements in the way that it's written. So we're just going to handle it like that. So if this happens, then this happens. It happens twice, verse 1 and 2, and I'll explain to you what it means. So here's the first if. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, what does he mean there by Christ? Well, Christ is God in the flesh who is the Savior. If you believe this, then you have been born of God. What does it mean to be born of God? It's kind of a strange phrase, really. Uh, Also similar to it is this phrase, this idea of being born again. It's kind of a funny thing to to talk about, a little confusing. Well, in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to a religious leader. He was a Pharisee. His name was Nicodemus. And uh, John chapter 3 says, after dark one evening... Nicodemus came to Jesus and says, Rabbi, calls him a teacher. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied to him, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, there's that phrase again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Nicodemus is confused as you may be this morning and it's a little tricky for me to think about also. What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Gross. Verse 5, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, which I believe has something to do with baptism and of the spirit, which is God's spirit working in you. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Skip down to verse 16 of chapter 3 of John's gospel. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is what it means to be born again. To be born again means that you are no longer dead spiritually, but you're alive in Christ. Now, this is important. God is not just making you a better person through Christ. I mean, you'll find people that'll say, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I follow Jesus, the way of Jesus. I mean, you know, sure. There's a lot about what Jesus teaches in terms of how we ought to behave that can be found in a lot of other places in our world. But God isn't just about making you a better person. He is giving you new life in Christ. You are born again. This is incredible. When a baby is born, a new life emerges that did not previously exist. When my first child was born, when all four of my kids were born, I was moved in that room because like, wow, like she and I, like this happened, like this is unbelievable. Like there's a new life. Being born again means that there's something brand new happening. Some of you all know that. You remember that. You remember the way you lived as a spiritually dead person, but then you heard that Jesus paid a price for your sin to be forgiven, was raised from the dead, give you a hope of new life. You accepted it through faith, faith, and now you know what it's like to be on the side. That is, I'm no longer an enemy of God, but I'm a child of God. I get to be in a relationship with God. You are born again. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if anyone is in new, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. That's good news. No longer an enemy of God, but a child of God. Did you know that prior to becoming a Christian, you have one enemy? God. But through faith, 
in Christ, you become a child of God. And then according to verse 5 of 1 John chapter 3, you can now overcome. Everybody say overcome. That's a good word to say. (laughs) You, You can now overcome. Verse 4, look, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is what it's in, what's in it for you. You're an overcomer. You see, because prior to Christ, you had one enemy, God. Since Christ, you now have three enemies. Your flesh, the part of you that still wants to rebel against God. The the cultural norms, the current of the culture, and this is not me hating the culture. I love this neighborhood. I love the community. I love people, even those that don't believe like me. But the the current of our culture, which is man-centered and draws us away from a life that's centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you don't know that to be true, then you need to wake up. Our third enemy is Satan. But in Christ, you can overcome all those things. Isn't that awesome? Your new enemies are no longer more powerful than you. You are an overcomer. If you've been born, if you've trusted in Jesus, then you've been born again. That's good news. Some of you are here and you've never like placed your faith in Jesus You've been trying on your own your whole life to to manage your own morality, to manage the direction of your life. And here's what you need to do. You need to recognize that your sin separates you from God. God's made a way through Christ for your sin to be forgiven. Repent of your sin, place your faith in Jesus and see what happens. You will become through faith an overcomer. That means that no matter what you have going on in your life, you can still trust that God is in control, that God is good, and that there will be a day when all that's broken will be restored by the personal work of Jesus Christ. I'm preaching up here. I don't know if you are listening. Okay. Verse 2. If you've been born of God, which we've just described, those of you that have been born of God, this is for you. If you've been born of God, verse 2, then you will love others who are born of God. Again, this is bottom shelf kind of stuff. This isn't hard Bible teaching to understand. If you've been born of God, you love the Father, then you will love others who are born of God. This is other other believers, actually. This is who he's talking about in this context. There are plenty of places in the Bible that talk about loving people that are outside the church. In this context, he's talking about loving people that are inside the church, other believers, which is important. We care about that as a community, cultivating an awareness and an ability to love one another really, really well. Love in real relationships. How do we love others? This is where it gets very practical. How do we love others who are born of God? Well, he says in chapter 3, verse 16, if you have your Bible, flip over one page maybe to 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. He's already given us some description as to how we to love one another. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the others, for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We love God by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just pause here and say, I really 
believe that this is a really loving group of people. I have been a part of being on staff and leadership in the church for a lot of years, more than two decades. And I think that there's something special about this community. And we're uh, a new community, which I think helps. A lot of people in this church are required for even having church on a Sunday morning. At this point, we have two staff members. So it requires a lot of intentionality and service and participation from people, which I love. Let me tell you one thing that is true about this group as I observe it, is that you all are very loving to one another. Here's some ways that I've seen you love one another really, really well. So if I were your dad, which I'm not, I would hold you, wrap my arm around you, and I would look into your eye, and I would speak these over you as a word of affirmation. Here's the ways that I've seen you love one another. I see you love one another in the way that you warmly greet the new people. We have some new people in here this morning. I hope that's been your experience. I think one thing that's beautiful about this church is that if you are new, if I had everybody that feels new stand up, it would be most of the people. (laughs) There's a lot of new people. But I see you love one another really, really well in the way that you warmly greet one another. Jesse, who's sitting in the back, leads our host team. And Jesse's a very loving guy. He always is trying to hug me and kiss me. No, not really. Um, But he does such a great job of leading his team. He, and along with Sarah and several others who've been there from the beginning, leading the team to warmly welcome people in our community. That's a really practical way of loving one another. I've also seen you love one another in one one incredible hour this week as Andrew and I were traveling back from Tempe, Arizona, and after eight hours the first day and 14 hours the second day in the vehicles, I pulled up. We were three hours late to Andrew and Megan's house, and I just was concerned that we would show up and it would be he and I unloading the truck. And as I pulled up, no kidding, I looked on the lawn, and there was probably 20 of our people standing there ready to go to unload Andrew and Megan. It may have been because I was tired. I'd had too much coffee. I don't know. But a tear came to my eye. One tear. I didn't have time for any more. <laughs> because I knew that Andrew and Megan could see the heart of our church and the way this church loves really, really well. Not just with words, but practically. And we, in one hour, unloaded their whole truck. Everybody was gone. It was awesome. I've seen you love one another well in the way that you have invested time in others through home groups. Anybody that's in a home group in this church, which is like our midweek small groups, anybody that's in a home group is in it because they prioritize it over other things. There are no one, especially in the inner city, is sitting around going, oh, I don't have any time left. You know, I have so much time left over. I wonder what to do with it. No one is. All of us are busy. That's why we talk about mission, inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. So anybody that's in a home group, prioritize it because they understand the Bible on teaching loving one another. And that takes time and investment. I've seen how you love one another really, really well in your home groups. You care for one another. You 
listen to one another. You pray for one another. That's beautiful. And if you're new to the church, those are always open and we want to get you connected into one that make, makes sense for you. We love one another by being willing to sacrifice for one another. You know, one way that we can be unloving to one another, according to John, is by disobeying God's commands. We love one another by obeying God's commands. This is what John is saying here as he begins to turn the corner on this truth. We love one another by obeying God's commands. And here's why this is so important because our obedience to God and the way we live before God does not just affect our lives, but it affects people around us. This is the result of what's American individualism where we believe that what I do has no effect, nor is it anybody else's business on other people. But the reality is what you do does affect other people. It affects your spouse, it affects your kids, it affects your neighbors, it affects your church. And so we love one another really, really well when we obey the commands of God. In verse 3 of 1 John says, for, the, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, even the hard ones, even the tricky ones. But it goes on to say, and his commandments are not burdensome. Let me do this quickly. When do the commands of God, specifically loving one another as a primary one, although there are other commands of God, when do they become burdensome? When do any commands become burdensome? Think about that in your job. When do the rules from your commander, your boss, become burdensome? They become burdensome. It becomes burdensome, for instance, to obey God's command to love one another, invest in the community when we're young and immature. I see that in my kids. My commands to them become burdensome when they are four years old because they're four years old. They don't understand them. They rebel against them. They resist them. Now, when my 11-year-old is behaving like my four-year-old, there's a problem. When we're young and immature, the commands of God become burdensome. We, don't, we flail around. We want to do it. I don't want to prioritize the things of God. Why? Well, I just don't want to. When we're young and immature, and some of you are new in your faith, and so it's going to take time. But those of you that have walked with Christ for a while, you no longer have this excuse. <laughs> you must obey the commands of God, specifically loving one another. Uh, the commands of God are also burdensome when we're self-centered. Because oftentimes the commands of God require us to serve others and put others first. This is so important. When we're self-centered, the commands of God, like loving other people, loving others, become burdensome. It becomes a burden to prioritize home groups. Why? Because we're self-centered. We don't want to put other people first. We don't want to put the good of the community of the church at first. Also, the commands become burdensome when we forget that the commander is trustworthy. When I tell my kids to do something, or to not do something. Oftentimes it's because I see things that they cannot see because they're young. What I must remind them of is not that they will agree with my commands, but, because, but that I am a trustworthy commander. Although I don't call myself commander in our home. But that's not a bad idea. I've been thinking about a tattoo idea. That may be the one I go for. 
I want them to know that I'm trustworthy. And so when I command them to do something or to abstain from doing something, then they will trust me, not because they understand the command, but because they understand that I'm trustworthy. C.S. Lewis said this, we might think that God wanted simply obedience to a set of rules, whereas he really wants people of a particular sort. So the commands of God, again, the first of which, according to John, is loving one another. The commands of God are not just to enforce a set of rules on you, but they're because God is doing something in you. He wants a certain type of people who are conforming to his nature. It seems that John here is insisting over and over and over for someone that is born again, love for God and love for other people are closely connected. In fact, he swaps them back and forth a couple of times. It seems as if they're the same. Loving God and loving others is like the same thing for those that are born again. Isn't that incredible? So the way that you love God is by loving others. The way that you love others is by loving and obeying God's commands. Those things, those things are connected. We must be those kinds of people. And you say, well, I've failed. Well, good news. Jesus came to pay for our sins. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, here we go again, satisfies God's righteous requirement that sin be judged. And through faith, we get the penalty of our sin forgiven so that we have a personal relationship with God. I'm not going to try to motivate you to some to meet some unrealistic standard of perfection. That will never work. What I want you to be moved by is the gospel. And that is that when you're spiritually dead, God rescues you from your sin. It gives you new life. You are in fact born again. And in response to that, you say, God, help me to become the kind of person that loves you by loving others and loves others by obeying you. And in that journey, we become the kind of people that God has intended for us to become. We begin to live the purpose that God has for us. Those who are born again, love God by obeying his commands, first and foremost, love one another. Let me just really practically give you a few ways that you can love one another and then I'm gonna be done. Here are a few ways that you can love one another this week Really practically. The first one I'll say is mindfulness, which is, if you, does anybody here do yoga? Come on, fess up. It's all right. Get it all right. I got a problem with yoga. I would do it, but I weigh too much. Um, <laughs> uh, um, mindfulness is a word that kind of comes out of that movement. And mindfulness is... Uh, or it's being used by that movement right now. Mindfulness is like this idea of this conscious state of being aware of something. And so here's how you can love one another this afternoon and this week is, is um, be aware of the need to love people. Look around you. Who's sitting next to you? Who's around you? Like be conscious of that. Don't just ignore it. We, I think, have, are like losing the capacity to be connected to what's right around us because we're so often connected to like this right here, you know. Have you ever been at a meal with a group of people and everybody's just on their phone, you know? What I'm saying to you is like put this down and like be conscious of what's going on around you and the people around you. Be aware of those around you in the ways that you can love them. 
Here are some ways that you can love them. Presence. Invest time in them. Prioritize it. Do you care about showing love to other people in the life of the church? Well, on your calendar, put, I'm going to... Thursday evening, I'm going to try to get together with other people in the life of the church. And we at this church, we don't have like a bazillion programs. If you come and have a large church when it's like every day, there's something for you and your dog. That didn't happen here. I mean, we're, we're like, we want to teach you to be present with other people and to, to work on organizing those kinds of things on your own because you're an adult and you can get it done. Invest time in other people. Prioritize on your things to do this week list. I'm going to get with another person in our church for coffee once a week. Or I'm gonna get with another couple. Or I'm gonna, I'm gonna find somebody that's my age. I'm gonna find somebody that's older. I'm gonna find somebody that's younger. And we're gonna get together, say, once a month. This is the kind of thing that in the life of our church, Jeannie and I have done and we care deeply for. We just said, you know what? We are prioritizing investing time in the lives of people because we know God's command is to love one another. And this is one of the most loving things we can do is give people our time. Presence. Who will you spend time with this week? Will you prioritize home groups? In the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin launching the fall term of home groups. Will you be present in the life of our church, get into a home group, so that you can give time to other people and they can give time to you and the love that God will cultivate in there will be glorious. Be present. A third thing as I wrap up here is generosity. You know, you can love one another by being generous with things like your words. Speaking a kind word picking up the phone and say, hey, you know what I was thinking about you? I was telling somebody earlier that this week, twice during the week, God put them on my heart. And, and I know that I was supposed to give them a call and just say, how's it going? I don't have anything in mind. <clears throat> just speak a kind word. I didn't do that, but that's the kind of thing that we, we need to do. I try to do. How can you use your words to love another person? Think about that. Who right now is God bringing to mind? Maybe they're here, maybe they're not here. Maybe that's why you need to call them. Money. You can be a blessing and show really practically love to another person by being generous financially to them. And the best kind of generous giving is the kind that maybe you, only, you and them know about it or maybe they don't even know who it came from. Be generous. Be generous. See a need, be aware of the need, then give to it. Be, be practically generous to that. And this isn't me setting you up. I don't need any money. So afterwards, if you see me coming, don't be like, oh, he's going to try to get me to be generous to him. No, that's not what this is about. Time. I've already mentioned being generous with your time. You know what happens when we are this to one another? We love one another really, really well. You know what happens? Is people outside the church go, man, that is an amazing place. That is an amazing group of people. It's not the kind of people that's just like us four and no more, not at all. I mean, we're like the kind of people that say, I don't have another rhyme, but us four and some more, you know. Um, We want to love one another really, really well. All the while we're being mindful of like who's outside the church and needs to meet Jesus personally. All right, will you be the kind of person born again who loves God really well, obeying his commands, the first of which is loving one another.